0: Imagine accepting the CIO job at Facebook right as the social media network was about to take off. Now imagine that your first task is to fix a complex calendar system that is causing headaches throughout the company. And oh, by the way, if you can't do it, you're fired. That was the scenario Tim Campos found himself in. But don't worry because, spoiler alert, he was able to figure it out. On this special two-part episode of IT Visionaries, Tim joins us to share that story and so much more, including how he leapt from Facebook to his own startup, what it means to be a CIO, the importance of integration and mentorship, and even a few stories about Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. This is part one of Tim's interview. Stay tuned for part two next week. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And in studio, Tim, what's going on? How you doing? It's great to have you here, I do have to say. Um, You know, we're we're close to some old stomping grounds of yours, and I guess your new stomping grounds. We're going to get into your background and the time you spent as CIO of Facebook. But first,
2: how did you get into technology? All right, so I've been thinking about this question. And I have a question back for you. Fire away. How deep do you want to go on
1: this? What's your, what's your, it's, it's your, your story to tell. What was your first inklings that you wanted to get into tech or that you knew what it was, or maybe your Atari or I don't know what.
2: Uh, so, you know, as a kid, my favorite thing to do was to take stuff apart and I used to take everything apart, the lawnmower, the vacuum cleaner, everything. And so when my dad brought computers home, took the computers apart too. that doesn't mean that i always got it back together you know there's always extra parts or sometimes i just couldn't figure it out but uh the computers are one thing that i was uh, strongly encouraged to make sure that i was able to get them back together and that just built a passion for it so i've always been into technology i've found that uh you know a lot of you know how technology evolved in in my life um, was so dramatic it was so different every year that it just kept me captures that kept me interested and, um, decided to focus on that in college, went to Berkeley, electrical engineering, computer science, you know, started working as a software engineer at uh, companies like Sybase and then Silicon graphics. And I've just always had this passion. It's never gone away.
1: I love that. We got a Cal bear in the studio. Go Why, bears. So many Stanford people and we're right in Stanford's backyard because I was born and raised in Oakland. So I, uh, lifelong Cal bears fan. And gosh, these Stanford people.
2: I'm not just a Cal Bear. I'm a double bear. Yeah,
1: because you went to Haas, right?
2: I went to Haas. I'm on the board for Haas. I married a Haasi, so my my wife went to Haas. My sister went to Haas. Oh, yeah. My dad taught at Berkeley. My uncle taught at Berkeley. Oh, man. My brother-in-law went to Berkeley. My wife's parents both went to Berkeley. Her uncle went to Berkeley uh my cousins I mean it just goes on and on and on That's so pretty good. I'm golden blue through and through. So quick
1: Cal bear story. My parents were sitting in uh behind the goalposts for the play.
2: Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Well, uh you know in in deference to the stand for people, I did get to go. My first big game was the 1990 big game. Oh uh which was incredibly exciting and even though Cal lost uh it was just amazing to feel the energy and so it is pretty cool that the two schools have that rivalry but at the end of the day go bears
1: yeah i know go bears
2: i know and we have
1: a lot of people on this on this show especially in technology that right it's right down
2: the road stanford's right down the road from our little yeah, studio yeah the people are just they're just kind of quiet you know exactly but there's a lot of them and they do great things
1: so speaking of place right down the road from here. A place I pass on my way to work. A little dot-com company that you, uh, that you joined, um, back in 2010. Is that right? Yep. Um, what brought you to Facebook?
2: Oh, that was an interesting journey. Um, so I was actually at Berkeley at the time I had taken uh, a year off. Um, I was, uh, I left my role as the CIO of Facebook or of, of KLA 10 excuse me, the previous company. And I, um, you know, was thinking of doing a startup and um, some of my classmates and I had done a business plan competition and we're doing really, really well. And uh, we were in an entrepreneurial class and studying Facebook and I got the opportunity to interview at Facebook and I figured I wasn't that serious about going back and doing another CIO gig, but it was interesting for me to have an opportunity to go in and see the company from the inside out. And I kind of fell in love with it. I was really impressed by the culture of Facebook from my first couple of interviews. It had a lot of energy. Um, It was serious. It was clear to me, this is a company that was going to go someplace, but it was also fun and intense and full of just ridiculously smart people. And I was drawn to that and the interviews all went really well. And, um, at the end of it, uh, Facebook uh, had an opportunity to come in as their first CIO, and um, I figured, you know what, that startup can wait. So uh, that's that's uh, how uh, I walked in the door. i mean, There's a few other elements of the story on, uh, you know, just the little details that I had to to go through in the interview process, which we can talk about later. But just really fell in love with the company and was fortunate that they fell in love with me too.
1: And we'll we'll get into some Facebook stories later. Um... But one of the things that I thought was so interesting was that, and one of the things we talk about a lot on this show, is that CIOs are well-positioned to be CEOs of the future. And this is not something that's kind of been the case for a long time. And it's you're starting to see the shift. You are a CIO turned CEO who found a business problem inside of one of the fastest growing companies of all time and realized and had this light kind of turn on. Can you tell us about that aha moment where what you were building at Facebook allowed you to become the CEO of Woven that you are today?
2: Yeah. I mean, this journey actually starts when I was at KLA Tencore um, as CIO there. And one of the things I learned at that company, they really didn't care about IT. I mean, it was like the last thing on their mind. (laughs) IT was important, but they didn't care about it. So going in to the executive staff and telling them all about the bits and the bytes and how we had, you know, implemented, uh, you know, a new ERP system and had, you know, months of shiny new servers and things like that was not something that the executive staff wanted to, to hear or what they cared about, what they cared about were business results. And, um, that really got into my DNA at, uh, at KLA. And when I came to Facebook, even though I was a very technical CIO, A big part of how I approached the role was, what is the business problem for me to solve at Facebook? And my job at the company was productivity. Let's go and figure out ways to make software engineers more productive, salespeople more productive, uh, recruiters more productive, basically any large scale function, and ultimately any employee. How do we cut the work out of their work and make it not only more uh, efficient for them, but also more enjoyable. And to do that at a company like Facebook was not about going and buying other people's software. Company had already done a lot of that by the time I got there. And so you know, we weren't gonna become more productive by implementing a CRM, because we had a CRM, yeah. or by implementing an ERP, because we had an ERP. We were gonna come, become more productive by changing what it means to sell, or changing what it means to recruit. And the only way we could do that was to build our own tools. And what, what, what was the size when you came to the company? facebook was small then it was about 1400 people um the it organization was dinky like 35 40 people so it was small but it was very clear to me that it was going to grow like and how many users do you think they just crossed 500 million users when i that was joined. my guess man yeah so which i mean at the time that seemed like amazing i mean yeah that's insane right you know I've, i'm looking at you know the growth prospects of the company i was like yeah there's no way this company is going to be able to like double or triple in size and yeah, while I was there, quadrupled in, in size in terms of users. And uh, so it was very clear to me that the company was going to go someplace. But the productivity problem was significant for them and something they cared a lot about. Uh, it's a very culturally driven company, and the best way to protect the culture is not to have any more people than you have to have, and the <clears> only way to do that is to have a productive culture. Like I said, we had to build a bunch of tools in order to do that, and a lot of that technology was really amazing technology. I mean, we're talking about things that could be used for data migration, for you know, next-generation reporting tools, next-generation CRM technology, um, some really sophisticated recruiting technology, and calendaring technology.
1: And, you know, it's funny. We just had a bunch of the folks from SignalFX in here, Arjit and Rajesh, and, and then recently uh, Karthik. And Arjit was talking about, and Rajesh were talking about this at like real-time monitoring was what they were working on at Facebook. Yeah. Right. Like th- those were the things that, that were being worked on. And now like Signal FX is doing amazing.
2: Well, Facebook grew up in an age where at the beginning you'd still have system administrators, right? You know, people who would just run the infrastructure of the environment, but the ethos was to get a fully automated environment so there was much more emphasis on systems engineering and site reliability engineering uh, than there was on okay let's just be operationally effective uh, which is how a lot of it organizations uh, at the time and to some degree still today uh, have approached these same kind of problems and that mindset the engineering mindset is one of the key uh, elements of facebook's growth and, and productivity is if you know, the best solution to a problem is to eliminate the work. Mm -hmm. And um, that has been done in so many different parts of the company. And what a, I
1: love how you framed all of that around, like, this is the job of coming in as CIO. It's the chief productivity officer, right? Like that. And I think that that is the difference between, you know, what, what used to be and what is the future. It's like, if the CIO is positioned as the person who oversees, technology which is critical to the business and overseas productivity it's like isn't that person perfectly suited to be a ceo like isn't that exactly what ceos are trying to figure out is how to empower you know their most valuable resource which is people
2: well you get involved in everything so you know if the company decides to go and build its own data centers and need a supply chain they need to talk to the it department if the company goes and buys another company um, and you know you got a whole deal flow for mergers and acquisitions. You know that requires uh, the IT department. If the company decides that uh, you know it wants to survey its employees more frequently to get a better handle of what's going on in the culture, that requires the IT department. So everything Facebook would do, and this is not unique to Facebook, everything that a corporation does that involves technology uh, involves their technology department. So you have to be a general manager. I'd have to understand. How does sales sell? How does HR recruit? How do they manage the workforce? How does the uh, engineering organization build the product? How does the operations team run the site? How does the facilities department build new facilities? How does the security department provide security for the workforce? All of these things are things that you know my, my team would have to be experts in, so I'd have to have general knowledge of in order to be effective and you know, while it doesn't make me an expert in every single one of those areas, it absolutely gives me uh, the most global purview that anybody would have at the company with the exception of maybe the CFO and definitely the CEO.
1: I was, I was going to say, so Atticus Tyson for the CIO into it. he was like, there's only two functions that touch every every area of the business and it's IT and, and finance. Yep, And he, cause he came from a finance background. But yeah, same sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and it was the same thing for me at KLA Tencore. I knew everything about how that company ran and how that how it operated, how it manufactured its products, how it serviced them in the field, how it you know distributed its R&D organization. And I understood the business strategy behind things and what are some of the strategic issues that were going to affect all of those operations. So it is an ideal proving ground for general managers and um, that has made me not only an effective CEO for Woven, but also was made me a great board member for companies like Viavi and Rackspace, because um, I understand all aspects of the business. So the calendar,
1: tell me how you started seeing this kind of crop up again and
2: again. Yeah, so this is definitely starts with Facebook um, because my initial, uh, I was hired at Facebook in part because there were a lot of problems with some of the basics, uh, some of the infrastructure starting with email and calendaring. And so I think that the thought was, if that stuff isn't stable and running well, what does it mean if we're gonna go public in the future for our financial systems and for our HR systems and things like that? So, uh, but I did not realize how bad it was until I showed up. And it was like two weeks into my tenure at Facebook where I got a call from Anika Goodman, who's Mark Zuckerberg's admin. And I was super excited that like I hadn't even been there two weeks and Zuck already wanted to get strategic and geek out about IT stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, you got to get here first thing tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And I'm like, cool, I'm in. And that should have been my clue because Zuck doesn't show up before 10 or at least he didn't at the time. And I got there and I was cornered by Anika and a couple of other admins who had basically read me the right act on how bad the calendar was for them (laughs) and how it was causing just no end of problems. It was really affecting their ability to do their jobs. And I had to fix it. It was my job and I had a week to do it. And if I didn't figure it out in a week that I was done and it was a hard problem to fix. It was something at the time, you know, we were using exchange and Facebook had a lot of Macs and iPhone devices, this is 2010. so. Mm Um, there weren't a lot of companies that were running that configuration. I think NASA was the only organization that had more Mac devices, um, as a percentage of the total workforce, uh, than Facebook did at the time. Crazy. And that was part of what was causing all these problems. But to cut a long story short, to be successful in addressing this issue, I had to get into the inner guts of how calendars are built and run. And as a software engineer, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, how can a piece of technology used by so many people be so bad? And the more I learned about it, the more I realized why and why it wasn't changing. And that created this motivation to do stuff with it. And some of that we did at Facebook, right? We have these digital maps at the company where people, you know, when they walk in the door, you know, they can go to these giant touchscreens and it'll tell you, where people sit and where conference rooms are and how to get there. And part of building that required us to integrate with the calendar because we needed to know if the conference rooms were free or busy at the time. And so we had to build an integration layer. And that integration layer turned out to be really valuable for other things. We could use it for um, recruiting if we were trying to schedule interviews with um, for software engineering interviews, of which Facebook you know was doing tens of thousands a year at, at the time. Crazy, yeah um we you know could use that same technology to allow us in bulk to go and see you know for any candidate what panelists would be available at the time that the candidate was available what conference rooms would be available to basically apply the principles of MRP to recruiting we used it for sales. Uh, you know, One of the best things for Facebook's advertising business is if it can talk to advertisers, it can help those advertisers um, be more effective and they spend more money with Facebook. And it's just a fact. Uh, the more that they are able to be properly prepared for those interactions with customers, then the more effective they would be in driving increased um, advertising spend. And so we did things to integrate customer meetings with the CRM to make sure that salespeople were productive. And so as we started doing more and more of the stuff with the calendar, it basically dawned on me. The calendar is a super critical, important part of our lives, particularly for knowledge workers That time is the most valuable asset that we have. It's the most critical choice that we make every day is how we're going to spend our time. So time is central to who we are and what we do. And the, time the calendar is central to time but the calendar is central to nothing else it is not integrated with anything else yeah. you know the agenda for the meeting is usually not in the calendar invite mm-hmm. the follow up action items from the event usually are not in the in the system the the customer history the even the previous like has this meeting been rescheduled 5 times mm-hmm. isn't in the calendar And so it just highlighted for me that there's a significant opportunity to take a a complete fresh look at how this thing is built and come up with a better way that um, not only helps make people more productive, but creates new opportunities for how we work together. And that's basically what Woven is about.
1: When I started demoing the product, so because I before this interview, I was like, this is great. Uh, It's a huge problem. We schedule. I don't even know how many, I mean, I think we're booked for this podcast for the next like four months and some of our other shows like seven, eight months out. I mean, we're talking like massive amounts of, of, you know, we have nine podcasts now. So tons of, tons of calendaring. I'm like, man, it is a nightmare that we've tried all sorts of different stuff. It's part of the reason I was really excited to do the interview is like, I, I just, I fundamentally believe kind of all the things that you said, it's, it's a little common sense, but the tech is so deep on this because It needs to be seamless and it needs to be really helpful and it's really complex. The fact that like booking, I was telling you before this, we do our CIO roundtables, which our listeners have, have got a chance to listen to some of them. Uh, Super fun, but you know, scheduling for CIOs calendars is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are so many times where you just look at like scheduling being the thing where
2: you just look, ah,
1: I don't want to schedule.
2: Yeah, and there's there's very good reasons for this. I mean, first off, you, you take the calendaring spec that we all use to send invites to each other. It was written in 1998. That's crazy. It, it wasn't really touched for another 10 or 11 years. It was revised in 2009, and it hasn't been modified since. So we're operating off of a spec that was built before the iPhone, the smartphone became commonplace, before cloud computing and software as a service became commonplace. Before all modern software development and software architectures became commonplace. So it's got a disadvantage just on the interface. But then you get into, you know, why is it so hard to schedule? Well, I want to meet with you. You want to meet with me. But we don't know when we both can meet. Our calendars don't talk to each other. So we have to revert to human beings translating what's in the calendar into English or whatever language you want to use to say, hey, how about next Thursday at 4 p.m.? Or how about Friday after 5 o'clock? It's incredibly inefficient. Why can't the calendars talk to each other? And that's just the beginning of the problem. You know, why is it that the information that goes along with these meetings, you sent me a, a long list of questions and stuff to be prepared for, that's ultimately related to this consumption of time but it's in a separate place. I yeah. have to go find it in my email someplace. I can't just go to the calendar event and and see it right there. And it's because the calendar is not extensible. And so our idea here was quite simple, and of course inspired by the fact that you know, half the company are Facebook employees. You know, when you look at this, the calendar is a graph, and you know, we spent you know, for me, the better part of a decade trying to uh, you know build a company around uh, you know a massive social graph. Why don't we do the same thing? for calendars. So- social graph is perfect here. Our graph is perfect uh, because I meet with you. You meet with Hillary. Hillary meets with John. John meets with Darmesh, Darmesh meets with me. We're all interconnected in some way. And that creates an opportunity for us to transport information from one event to the next in an, uh, just like we can our our identities online from with LinkedIn or with Facebook or with other things. And uh, the other aspect of this is that it makes the calendar much more extensible. You can, um, you can grow the information that's connected to the calendar based on whatever people need to associate. You don't even have to know what it is today. You don't have to know what it's going to be 10 years from now. You just need an extensible framework to be able to associate other information with calendar events with time.
1: Well, and I think to your point about it being written back in the nineties and updated a little bit, I mean, really the calendar on my phone is no different than phase on family calendar that sat above our telephone growing up right like there's really no there's no difference other than i can just bring it everywhere with me
2: oh this is an absolute truism in fact most software starts this way it you know when we go from a paper-based world to a digital world what do we do we take the paper processes and we produce digital analogs for them and so like look at the email it's the electronic memorandum and it's basically what an email is now memoranda makes sense when you're using paper, but when in the digital world, there's actually far more efficient ways to communicate, like text messaging or you know, things like Snapchat or Facebook Messenger or Slack. But those don't make sense in the paper world because it's not possible to do a lot of the things that you can do there. Um, the slide, right? The cellophane slide has become <laughs> this like thing that you have to show when you're doing a presentation, but it's really rooted in this analog universe and for the calendar what was the calendar when it existed in paper form it was a paper diary you know it would basically have different pages and it would tell you you know what is it that you were doing that day and that's what the calendar does really really well where am i going next what is what is my meeting how do i uh, dial into it that's what the calendar is designed for but when you get into planning right planning wasn't something that you really did very effectively using that paper, you'd have uh, an admin to you know, coordinate all your events and things like that. Or follow ups or um, the action items that come from uh, events. These didn't have a paper analog at the time. So they never got represented in how we built the calendar until today. And this is I mean, the reason we call woven, woven is what we're trying to do is weave all this stuff together with your time so that you have a much better representation of what it is that you're doing, and ultimately that you can let the system take care of the administrative stuff and also helping you keep track of whether or not you're spending time on the things that you really want to. The mission of the company is help people spend time on what matters most to them. And that can't happen without the ability to connect your time with the things that you spend it on.
1: And I think from, you know, especially from the leader perspective, from the CIO perspective, from the governance perspective, you're talking about data that is just gone. It's in the ether, right? It's like the, all of this, and all of this is so complex with, I woke up today and I don't feel good. Like we had something happen at work where I had to cancel an entire week of meetings. Like extremely complex scheduling meetings, round tables, all sorts of crazy stuff. It's like, that is the actual, like I had guilt telling our team like we need to reschedule my calendar Mm -hmm. um like that's the sort of stuff where you know we we recently talked to um on on marketing trends our podcast for cmos we talked to the cmo of trip actions and you know one of the things that that megan was saying was so interesting is like corporate travel is super broken but within corporate travel When the cancellation happens, that's where the real rubber meets the road. Like something can be broken. Like the calendar is fundamentally broken. Like we kind of all know that. But it's once you have the event where it's like, oh, now I need to schedule X amount of people or now I need to reschedule an entire week's worth of meetings. That's when like that impetus goes from like this is, you know, a five out of 10 annoying every day to like, okay, it's now a 10 out of 10 annoying at this exact moment.
2: Yeah, and yeah, you know, again, part of why is there's not enough information in it in the system to help us out. Like first off, we don't meet by ourselves for the most part. So, yeah, it is Your point. To the degree that you do, like, you know, my wife uses the calendar to keep track of all of the stuff that she's got to do for, you know, the kids and for, you know, her personal objectives, but most of her events don't involve coordinating with other other people. So, for her to clear her calendar and and move things around is not nearly as difficult as it might be for Sheryl Sandberg or Mark Zuckerberg, where, you know, these are, they're meeting with heads of state and people that have very constrained calendar events. So that's one problem is that we're doing this together as, um, you know, as, as people, but our time is not just a function of whether we're free or busy. It's a function of what is it that we're doing, right? So if as an executive, you have to clear your calendar for a week, you probably have 40% of your meetings are one-on-ones. You don't need to reschedule those things yeah, right? yeah, yeah. they're recurring you're just going to have another one in the future so you can wipe those things out but you have you know maybe a critical staff meeting that is recurring and it can't wait until the next bi-weekly period to occur so that that one has to move you might have like a quarterly business review that you know that one has to move you got the, and these things involve other people the calendar doesn't help with this stuff because it doesn't know enough about the difference between these things.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's inherently treats every single thing, the exact
2: same, right? They're all if it's, the same. It's, There's it's no either, sense of priority, yeah. or meaning or purpose.
1: Well, and that's where I, and to back to the governance piece, you're talking about if you're trying to, as you know, the CIO being the chief productivity officer in this scenario, if you're trying to say, how can I help our employees be more productive? And if you're just looking at their calendars as are there is their time being blocked or not blocked, it's like, how do you know if someone is doing deep work, if that's more productive or less productive? Right. How do you know if, you know, meetings with five people or three people are better? You know, I think it's um Jason Fried who wrote rework, like talks about, you know, like they don't they don't do meetings of a certain size, all this sort of stuff. Like it would be great to have non anecdotal evidence as the CIO to say, like, hey, if a meeting doesn't have a room associated with it or whatever it is, like it's actually less productive like any of those sort of things that we we have inherently no information about at all currently because our calendars aren't smart enough to figure out like how to
2: differentiate these events. yeah I mean we um, one of the things that's been very interesting for us about Woven is being able to um, understand how behaviors, what behaviors are similar for calendars across organizations and what behaviors are or unique to the organization. Yeah, you know, I can just give you a couple, couple examples. Yeah. Um, you know, we one of the questions that we we had early on is, you know, when should we suggest that the day starts, right? You know, when we're defining work hours, should it be nine o'clock, should it be eight o'clock, should it be seven o'clock? And, you know, there's a bunch of people in my company that are early, early morning risers and they're like, yeah, of course it should be seven o'clock well, let's just look at the data. What does the data say in terms of when people start? And it was fascinating to see a histogram of meeting start times across millions of events uh, to understand that there actually is some very common patterns here. 7 a.m. is not common at all. Um, It it is- Thank uh, goodness. Thank goodness, yes, for for many people. Definitely for me. Um, So it helped answer that product question, but this also pointed to you know, different behaviors. One of the things that Facebook tried to do was to shorten its meetings by five minutes for a 30 minute meeting and 10 minutes for an hour long meeting in order to afford people the time to get from one, one meeting to the next. Yeah, It was never successful in doing that for technical reasons, Office 365 or Microsoft Office doesn't make that easy to do. Um, But also people tend to ignore the end of when meetings occur, going back to the, well, they'll fill the time if they've got, but there are other organizations that do do this quite religiously. Um, You know, just uh, a meeting with Andreessen Horowitz tomorrow. And uh, this is one of their things is they are all about like being on time. You got to pay if you are late to the next meeting. And therefore like they give themselves this little buffer time between events. So you don't get a... 30 minute meeting or a 60 minute meeting or a 90 minute meeting with them you get a 25 yeah, meeting yeah we meeting did or a 50 minute we meeting. met with those same thing yeah and so you can see some of these culturalisms in how different organizations behave and from their meeting activity there is definitely a meeting culture and i don't know yet whether that meeting culture how that pertains to productivity in the grand scheme of things but I do feel quite strongly that that has a direct impact on the productivity of that organization. Whatever they choose to, to do um, is definitely going to be you know, a part of how they have deliberately chosen to operate as, as a group, as an organization. And uh, so yeah, there's lots of interesting stuff in this data. Well,
1: and I think for, for technology leaders, You need the ammo to go to your leadership team, to go to your board, to be able to say, Hey, the data shows this. Like, I anecdotally, this was my hypothesis in testing this. Like, I think we could save a ton of company money or increase productivity by making uh, Wednesdays, no meeting Wednesdays. Yeah. Like, I
2: I think it's, uh, I think Airbnb does that. Um, Facebook does it. Do they? But it gets destroyed. Well, yeah. And it gets destroyed because it's largely an engineering premise. Facebook caught on early on to this idea. There's a great blog post on maker time versus manager time. Mm-hmm. So maker time is when you're doing tasks that require like deep thought. you know you're building a deck, you're writing some software. you are um, you know preparing for a presentation like you you can't do them five minutes at a time. Um Manager time is usually filled with a lot of different stuff. It's voluminous, but um, doesn't have the same kind of focus requirement. So you know responding to emails saying i if I have ten minutes, I can respond to a few emails. if I have twenty minutes, I can probably respond to twice as many. Um, but it doesn't matter if I have that twenty minutes contiguously or not. It doesn't take that long for me to get started and stop and that's the reason for the no meeting Wednesday is to like you know preserve that, except that it only takes like one customer who's outside of the company who needs to meet with the sales organization that then drives like a follow on prep meeting that has to occur on yeah. a Wednesday that involves the engineering team that to start, you know, coming up with exceptions to the rule. Um, so it's very difficult to do these things in isolation. You really need to have a global approach uh, to to address them and visibility into who are the number one no meeting Wednesday violators. Yeah. And why are they doing it? And what can we do to help them not need to have those meetings on Wednesday? Just getting that kind of data is impossible off of a calendaring system. Tell me the query interface that I can write against exchange to answer that question. I can't. Um, So again, the need to go back and, and rethink how these systems are built. So what would you say, what would be your
1: recommendation for you know CIOs or technology leaders out there that are looking at this type of problem to figure out how they could justify, you know, something like woven to go into their leadership teams and say, this is why we need this because I need to have, you know, X, Y, or Z.
2: Well, I'm going to give you a, a, that's a big question. And that's a, there's a lot of things that factor into what makes sense for one company or the next, but it ultimately starts like the the most successful IT departments are going to be successful because they know what their purpose is. What is the thing that they have to do? I had an opportunity. Uh, it's an interesting story we can get into if we want to yeah. on, on Tesla Motors. Um, Fire away. To, to uh, uh, learn about the the role of IT at, uh, at Tesla. And to cut a long story short... At the time, they were making 50,000 cars a year, and they needed to make 500,000 cars a year. And they were looking for technology automation to ensure that they didn't have to 10x the size of the company in order to accomplish that. Very straightforward, very specific, very clear goal that came straight from the top. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I look at like one of the companies I'm on the board for with Rackspace, Mm -hmm. where Rackspace is all about providing exceptional customer service and great experiences for their customers. How do they engage? You know, codify that with technology. So it's not just about having armies of people. Very clear role for the technology organization. So every IT organization, if the leader is successful, they know what this is. And then they can answer how a technology like this fits into it. You know, for woven is built for individuals, teams, and organizations where time is money, right? Time is the most valuable asset that that um organization has and you know the amount of money that one needs to spend on a product like woven or any kind of productivity software in relation to the value of the employees that you're trying to get efficiencies for um, and it's a very very good roi i mean even take something like slack how much does slack cost and how yeah. much productivity can slack generate for teams of people to be able to to collaborate with each other so i think it ultimately comes down to that But where we're going to make the biggest splash with Woven is when we start building these purpose-built applications for business functions in the enterprise. Things like what we did at Facebook where, okay, let's solve the problem with how do employees keep track of their PTO. Or let's solve the problem with how do recruiters coordinate more effectively with candidates. Or let's solve the problem with how do we help salespeople spend more time with customers. Those purpose-built applications will be the they will justify themselves. There will be a very clear ROI on why a company wants to buy those things in order to make better use of the time that they have.
1: Well, and the integrations is a piece of this that we haven't got into yet, but it's so exciting because now, like, you know, you want to talk about like right place, right time, like 10 years ago, Woven is a totally different problem set, but now- with integrations, like number one, the world is way more complex, so it actually is even more necessary. Right, but it also is there's the integrations that you can just seamlessly uh, weave, pardon the pun here, uh, into into all the things that people are already doing to
2: optimize their workflows. Well, in in some respects, it's it's. The world, and particularly the technology landscape, is ripe for a solution like this today. Because ten years ago, integration was all about file format exchange, right? You know, you needed to have a suite so that you know you could embed your spreadsheet inside of your Word document. (laughs) You could, you know, take the, uh, you know, some of the elements of that spreadsheet and also put it in a PowerPoint slide, and then share that PowerPoint slide over email with a group of people. Um, and today's day and age, is the file format is Far less important. We have URLs. We have you know, um, you know, a bunch of APIs that make it really easy to stitch systems together. And cloud storage, which all that kind of stuff. And so the suite as we know it today is really kind of the wrong way to think about technology integration. You don't need to buy it from Microsoft. You can use Slack with Notion or Quip and Google Docs and uh, Woven and you know all these uh, different technologies, even though they don't come necessarily from the same software company. In fact, it's better if those companies are very purpose focused because now they are 100% focused on making that the best possible experience. You know, even though, you know, there's a lot more people at Google um, focusing on Google Calendar than Woven has with um, with Woven, and certainly the same thing is true with with Microsoft. Uh, you know, those teams are not trying to make their calendars award-winning calendars. They don't. It's not a life or death experience for them if they fail to accomplish that. That is the case for woven that is the case for Airtable. that is the case for slack you know we have to be successful at what we do or we die and so we have the motivation to do it hopefully for the other companies definitely for woven we have the talent to do it and therefore you're going to get much better results
1: yeah i mean you see this you know we've we had in here the cios of, of Okta and box and zora and um on a cio round table all amazing people but it, you're you're talking about like all of these comps, so many companies, like you see it on their marketing materials. You see all these integrations and obviously like with all of like being glued between a lot of this stuff. But I mean, you see co-messaging, like the time for, you know, the plus sign of how many things uh, are are doing this stuff together. It's really interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, for the CIO, your user base is going to make a lot of these choices for you. Well, that's the thing, right? If these tools aren't good, They're not going to adopt if these tools, they're going to go find the tool that is good and they're going to bring it in and then they're going to tell you, you got to pay for it or you got to secure it or you got to integrate it. So, you know, the, that's tough for the CIO, but what it also does is it creates the right incentives for the software companies to build really, really good products, products that don't require training products that don't require, you know, a 900 page manual to read. That's the nature of, you know, where enterprise software has come from. But where it's going is going to be much more like a consumer product, where if the user can't figure it out in the first 30 seconds, then it's not a good product.
0: Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.